Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 16 and 27 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I rank the Pistons' young guys, we talk about the stalled Andre Drummond trade discussions, and we discuss Derrick Rose's elevation into the starting lineup. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Laz, take a time out, man. Oh my god, Ben, you got no idea. <laughs> hey, and right. and everybody else, welcome, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's this go with the, it. Let's go with it. <laughs> this is the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I'm Laz Jackson. That's Ben Gulker. Hey, Ben, the Pistons went two and one this week. Yay! Right? Yeah. Hey, winning. Winning is more fun than losing. I'll say that. No matter where you are in the uh, basketball development cycle. But those two wins also happen to correspond to something that uh, we are not necessarily super happy about, and that's Derrick Rose starting basketball games. How are we feeling about uh, starting Derrick Rose, Ben? Laz, I'm confused. I got to be honest. I'm really confused. Um, because a week ago, we were talking about the franchise sort of signaling that it's buying in on sort of a rebuild. And then here we are a week later, after a week of really surprising basketball, wherein potential all-star, if rumors are to be believed, is starting. So I'm, I'm just kind of back to being confused about where this franchise is. Uh, and honestly, like, it's sort of a head-heart competition, right? It's head versus heart. In my head, like, I feel like I know this team really just needs to rebuild and go all in on that strategy. But then my heart's saying this was really a fun week of basketball, right? A a really good win um, against a good team and then an absolutely dominating win against a bad team. Um, Rose getting wherever he wanted on the court, shooters, making making everything, raining down threes, a great performance from Sekou. Um, Andre Drummond, without the basketball in his hands, looking like the sort of player... I really hope he could be one focused on, you know, rebounding and dunking and all of those good things. Um, yeah. So I'm really torn about this. I, it just seems like what, what are we doing? Where are we going? We're just sort of the ship, the ship just rudderless adrift without any real clear direction about what's going on. You know, starting Derek Rose is just not something you'd expect a rebuilding team to be doing. So yeah, it, it's a head scratcher for me. Yeah. The, this is the part where, I get frustrated that the rest of the Eastern Conference is also bad because uh, the Pistons are, if I remember remember correctly, they are three games out of the eight seed right now, but they are also, I think, four games out of like being the second worst team in the East. And so if the other playoff teams in the Eastern Conference were better, there would be more, I think, clarification about like what the uh, goal of the season was always going to be. And uh, 
like we haven't gotten that yet. We talked a little bit last week about how Dwayne Casey is still coaching like a guy who believes he'll be fired if if he doesn't win basketball games. Like starting Derrick Rose is definitely a move that does that. Um, you know, we said before the season started, like we didn't think starting Derrick Rose was good uh, to keep his minutes limits down. Like that appears to have been uh, bumped up. Maybe not eliminated entirely, but because uh, Casey did come out and say, like, I'm, I'm playing him too much. But it's been bumped up from like 25 minutes a game to 30 minutes a game. You you kind of hinted at this, but there does seem to be a lot of uh, the, the like the meager pressure the Pistons organization can build for like Derrick Rose's all star case. We've seen uh, Keith Langlois, who works for the for the Pistons tweet a lot more about you know derrick rose being an all-star you can tell that this is something that the front office and the organization like kind of wants to show that you know even during a time of rebuild when we're not a good team like we can still like we still have talent we can still produce something that the fans should come out and come see you know like the other thing is like it's kind of a coincidence that this that starting rose has led to wins because the the fear for with starting Rose before was that the bench would fall apart. And that hasn't happened because Markeith Morris is scoring like 20 points a night. And so is Svi Mikhailuk. And so like, as long as that happens, like, sure, I will take Derek Rose in the starting lineup like five times a week. If it keeps Markeith Morris scoring 20 points a game. Right. But like, that's not going to happen. That's not going to continue. Um, and so you're right. It is confusing, but it's also disappointing that the rest of the Eastern Conference like can't make that decision for us. Yeah, if Brooklyn would just get its act together, right? Like, right. I'm cheering for Kyrie Irving to be right about something, which feels a little bit, uh, a little <laughs> bit odd. Like his comments this week were just baffling to me about his teammates. But anyways, back to the Pistons. Yeah, it's just, I mean, watching Derrick Rose is a joy, and it's great to watch Svi and Marcus and all these guys just shooting the lights out. But it's just like a 180 from where we felt like we were a week ago. And it's just, it's hard to know as a fan, like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I, I, it makes me even wonder, like, what happens when Reggie Jackson and Luke Kennard come back? Because that is ostensibly, like, going to happen sooner or later. And so, you know, will Reggie Jackson, like, return to the starting lineup and they'll keep trying to win games? Will we? Is, does this mean the end of the Bruce Brown at point guard experiment? And Bruce's numbers the last two games next to Derrick Rose have been um, really he's he's been much less effective offensively uh, next to Derrick Rose and like that's something that I think was born out at the beginning of the year and so like what what does that mean for his development right are we are we maximizing all aspects of each of the young guys like starting Reggie Jackson and Derrick Rose it's 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 not a very clarifying time in, in Pistons land I'll, I'll say that much uh, speaking of things that are kind of messy and not very clarifying uh the we got the report from yahoo's chris haynes that the andre drummond to atlanta trade talks are just dead completely dead they have ceased trade talks um but for now i want i want to put the emphasis on the for now because as we know like this is the nba talks can resume at any time um the and this seemed very much to me like a leverage play by the hawks to get detroit to accept their offer the offer was detailed in the haynes report it was chandler parsons the brooklyn 2020 pick and damian jones ben does that sound like enough for andre drummond to you yeah i mean i think right now it's completely fine uh for this trade 
to have sort of vaporized because the Pistons have what, like roughly two and a half weeks before the trade deadline. And this deal, I mean, I got to think this deal or a deal equivalent to it is going to continue to be on the table now in the deadline. So I absolutely see no problem with this breaking down at this point. Um, I would really like to see an actual prospect, even if it's a long shot other than Damian Jones, um, you know, not a guy who's really done a whole lot in his career. Um, you know, Laz, as I think you probably want to point out, he's getting a little bit old to be considered a prospect. Um, but, you know, I'd like to see, you know, that deal plus a future second or, you know, a guy who is maybe first or second year player who still has some chance of being an upside, you know, in addition to an expiring contract and a first. So, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it. There's going to be something else that emerges between now and two and a half weeks from now, in my opinion. No, I, I totally agree with you that there's going to be there are going to be more opportunities and that this deal itself, even though it's a little bit subpar, will always will still be on the table in, in two and a half weeks if the time comes down to it. Um, but the, the other thing that surprises me is that like this is really close to what I think an appropriate return for Andre Drummond would be right. Like substitute Damon Joe or Damian Jones for uh, Bruno Fernando, the first year the rookie that they took in the second round this year and like that's probably about as fair as you can get from from atlanta uh, from an individual perspective um that the framework for an andre Drummond Drummond trade was always like expiring salary first round pick young player um like damian jones is 24 and i know christian wood is 24 but christian wood has been more productive in his like nba and g league time than damian jones has been and so, like, it makes more sense to still think of Christian Wood as like a young dude trying to get better, or with the uh, with like the ability to progress more so than Jones. So, yeah, it's just the the level of prospect I think is the is the final hurdle, um, clearing the way for like an Andre Drummond deal. Um, the other thing that this kind of points out is that we haven't really heard much about other Andre Drummond suitors. We've heard the Pistons are very interested in moving Andre, but we have not heard about a bunch of teams that are interested in Andre Drummond. Um, the, the Sacramento Kings are, we've talked about, we talked about a little bit about the Knicks, but every report from the Knicks is that the Knicks don't want to give out uh, picks and they don't want to give out young players. And those are the only two things the Detroit Pistons want in a trade. So the pairing of that doesn't really make a lot of sense. And so, yeah, I'm just um, like trading Andre Drummond. When we talked about this earlier, where we're not sure about like how the season's going to go, trading Andre Drummond like very clearly defines like what the rest of the season is going to look like. And so, I think that it's important for this team to uh, still get a positive return for Andre before the end of the year, but uh, but still like to make a determination one way or another, and to in, and to inform us of that determination prior to the trade deadline. Yeah, and I'm like. Everyone is assuming that Drummond opts out. And I, I mean, I think the odds are he probably does. But man, I wish I had a little inside information on that, right? Because yeah. that, that seems to be a pretty critical factor in, in what the Pistons ought to accept this trade deadline. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, too, because he he really has to opt out before it's determined what he'll make on the open market. Exactly. And so he, he can't... The, if he opts out and all of a sudden he's only getting offered like less than whatever the final year of his contract would have been like, that's gotta be really frustrating for him, but that's part of the gamble of, you know, opting out of, you know, 28 million, $29 million. Yeah. You know, I, and this takes us on a little bit of a tangent that we weren't necessarily planning on, but you know, I could see Andre Drummond um, 
opting out of his contract and signing like a short one year deal to try to earn something bigger and totally sabotaging himself by trying to be like the do it all offensive player that he just isn't right. So like, you know, I'm rooting for Andre. I hope that doesn't happen, but like I could sort of see the scenario where he shoots himself in the foot by opting out, right. Signing like, you know, a a one year, $20 million deal or something with some crappy team going and shooting the ball 17 times a game and just proving that he's not that player, you know, and that, you know, that would make me feel bad as a fan of Andre Drummond. No, absolutely. I can, and it, the other thing is, right, like if he opts in, like that makes him easier to trade. That, that offers yeah. some clarity. It's easier to get, you know, it's easier to get a team to commit to 82 games worth of Andre Drummond than it is to get to a, a team yeah, to exactly. commit to 30 games of Andre Drummond. Yeah, exactly. And so even even if that happens, you just hope the, the Pistons are, are willing to look at themselves in the mirror and say like, hey, like this this is what we're going to do for the foreseeable future. You know, a big part of the Pistons foreseeable future, Sekou Dumbuya. Boom transition uh <laughs> seku watch seku had a he had three games this week he had a great game against the boston celtics career high 24 points getting uh i believe there was some like statistical threshold that he crossed as a teenager that like only kobe bryant had ever crossed and so people were comparing him to kobe can we <laughs> can we not do that like please i don't even want to watch a kobe bryant for like for 15 years or whatever um but he, he was good. He was merely good against New Orleans. He got to play uh, down the stretch of the game, which we've something we've talked about is very important. He got to play in overtime. Dwayne Casey switched him on to Lonzo Ball in crunch time, so we could see a little bit of how the coaching staff trusts him uh, defensively as well. But uh, he followed that up with a really poor performance against Atlanta. Uh, only four points in 27 minutes um, was was very floaty. This is the first time I think I can remember him like forcing things uh, on offense. Um, I know we're really excited about Sekou, Ben, but do you think we're putting too much pressure on him to be like really good right now? Yeah, that's the right question. Um, You know, there's the fan base perspective and there's the franchise perspective, right? I think the messaging we have heard from the franchise is a lot more realistic and a lot more patience. Um, You know, looking at just his performance this week, I can totally understand him getting lost in the shuffle against Atlanta, right? You've got guys just raining down threes from everywhere. You've got this really, really bad team in Atlanta. And boy, I I didn't realize how bad they are. They are so bad. Um, And I can just understand a young guy like that sort of getting lost and not knowing how to interject himself into a game that was, you know, over basically for the entirety of the game. So not too worried about that Atlanta game. Um, You know, from my perspective, you know, I can only speak for myself. I don't have a whole lot of expectations for him right now. And I'm sort of intentionally choosing not to, because we got to remember he's the youngest player in the NBA. So he's adapting to the physicality and the style of the NBA. He's adapting to the travel, the lifestyle of the NBA. And let's not, let's not forget that he's adapting to really an entirely new culture as well. So for this young kid, uh, he's going through a a whole lot and we forget that he's, he's just a kid, right? Um, Everybody at that age is going to have a bad game, right? So anybody who's 19 years old, 20 years old is going to look like that once in a while. I'm okay with that. I'm fine with the Atlanta game. And I'm, Honestly, like I would not be surprised if we have a handful of more uh, games like that, right? Um, so I think, yeah, as a fan, like no expectations, just enjoy the good moments and, and deal with the frustrating moments. 
you know, what I hope for is that the franchise, uh, the coaching, the management, the executive, all of those sorts of things, I really hope the obvious pitfall um, is avoided. And to me, it links back to our earlier conversation. Uh, the franchise seems to be a little bit confused about its direction. And I really, really, really hope uh, that they don't mismanage Seiko as a, as a result of that. Um, if they're focused on winning right now, again, for whatever reason, uh, I think the temptation will be to manage Seku um, in a way that promotes winning over his development. And obviously, we can all envision a hundred different examples of this, but the Atlanta game is one where, you know, maybe you pull him because he's struggling and you sit him on the bench and that affects his confidence. That is the pitfall I see as a potential uh, destructive path for his development. Um, what I really hope the Pistons manage to do uh, is continue to play him his minutes, uh, give him his minutes unless you know he's obviously struggling or way over his head or something like that, and make that the priority. Uh, the pitfall to me that you've got to avoid is now that you're starting him right, now that you're playing him big minutes, now that he's shown that he really does have a future in the NBA, Like that's not debatable, right? The, de- the debate is simply how good can he be the pitfall you have to avoid is now pulling the rug out from underneath him and yanking him out of that opportunity because you're trying to push for the eighth seed, uh, you know, in the last 20 games of the season or something like that. Yeah. I, hmm, that pitfall is less of a danger to me just because of the positionality on the team, right? They don't with Blake gone and like with, you know, Markeith Morris and Christian Wood and, and, and uh, and Thon Maker being the the bigs behind like Andre, then there's never really now that we know he can play, there's never really a reason for him not to. Um, he's like he's already probably like just only slightly worse than Tony Snell, who starts for this team on a consistent basis. And so like now that he's in the rotation and proved he can play, I'm not necessarily worried about him like not playing 20 minutes a night. What I am sort of worried about is what happened against Atlanta where he just kind of, he plays 20 minutes, but he just kind of fades into the background. Right. Um, He, he, we don't really see him uh, like this is, and this is a compliment. We don't really see him demand the ball and like isolate and and try and score that way. We see him get a lot of his baskets in the flow of the offense. Um, But like sometimes the offense does not flow towards you. And we do hope that eventually he is a guy who directs the flow of the offense, even if he's not being given the opportunity to do so right now. Um, it it just remains to be seen to me, like what kind of uh, offensive impact he has on a game to game basis. But we do see that just because of like the athleticism and the and the length and the size and the and the honestly the the defensive disposition he's been much better on defense than i expected you know i'm not i'm less worried about him playing 20 minutes than i am about how he plays like during those 20 minutes but you're right in that like the important thing is to just continue to give him those 20 minutes a night yeah and if i were coaching Seiko right now like this atlanta game is just such a I don't know. It's just such an outlier to me. Like you've got Svi going like nine for 11 or something crazy. You've got an absolutely disastrously terrible Atlanta defense. Like if I were coaching him right now, the thing I would be focusing on is you're going to have games like this in the NBA that are super lopsided. You could be on the giving end or the receiving end, especially a team like the Pistons this year. So if I were coaching him, 
you know, in a game where your teammates are just blowing up offensively, um, I would be looking for ways um, for him to use his athleticism in ways that can still impact the game without scoring because he obviously didn't need to score. There was no need to force the offense toward him. There's still ways that he could be impactful, and he just sort of faded into the distance sort of everywhere. Um, So I think that would be a coaching moment for him is how do you continue to impact the game when there's no real opportunity for you to be scoring the basketball? No, that's, that's an excellent point. And I do think, uh, like, from a fan perspective as well, like, I do think we do slightly need to pump the brakes on, on Seku, not necessarily because he doesn't have potential or anything, but just because, like, he's 19. He's going to go through peaks and valleys. Um, then I will say, like, it's easy to see how the fans are, like, very starved for somebody f- from this Pistons team to be a star player, to have the profile of, like, a of – a, I almost called him – I always called – almost called – Pascal Siakam, Sekou Dumboya, like that's not how that goes. Um, or like a, or another, you know, wing type creator like a Paul George or a Kawhi Leonard, but uh, like he's not going to be that anytime soon. And so pretending like he'll be that tomorrow or, or next year, like doesn't help anyone. And I have seen a little bit of that. There is, but like, I don't want to tell people not to get excited about like the one good thing happening this year for the team, but like it, it is kind of, uh, yeah, get uh, just pump the brakes a little bit, guys. Yeah, and the franchise has just such a poor track record of correctly evaluating and then correctly developing young talent. So, you know, we've given up on guys we shouldn't have, Dinwiddie, Chris Middleton, Aaron Aflalo. Uh, we've invested in guys we shouldn't have. Um, you know, Rodney Stuckey, some people would argue Andre Drummond. Um, so we've got this really unique opportunity for this super young guy who appears to be productive. The franchise really has to cash in on that. And, you know, I think the danger with Seiko is just to set, set the standards and the bar so high that he, he can't possibly jump it. I mean, the, the crazy thing about drafting these really young players is that you end up having to pay them when they're still nowhere close to being a finished product, <laughs> yeah. right? Like Seku's still going to be like four years away from his prime when he's up for his first payday. Um, so I think the Pistons have to be pretty intentional and pretty realistic about uh, where they go with Seku moving forward. No, absolutely. The, the Aaron Aflalo mentioned that takes me, that takes me back. Oh Ooh. yeah, man. I'm an old man. I gotta, I gotta reference these things. I'm glad we got we got you on the pod for historical purposes. <laughs> yeah, I can even talk bad boys, as you know. That's that's very true. Uh, to get a little bit more into the recent present, uh, Sweet Mikhailuk, I wanted to shout him out on the podcast because he's been bombing away from three this week. He set a career high in back-to-back nights, scored 21 against Boston and 25 against Atlanta. Um, he's shooting 44% from three on almost five attempts a game for the season. Uh, this coincided with his move to the bench because of Derrick Rose's elevation into the starting lineup. So like, you know, again, if Derrick Rose starting means Svi shoots, uh, scores 20 points a night, like I'm totally cool with Derrick Rose starting, but Ben, you know, how long do you think Svi is going to be able to maintain this production? Yeah, well, he's obviously not going to shoot 82%, which is what he did against the Hawks, (laughs) which is like, I mean, I don't, I challenge someone to do that on 2K on like 12 attempts. Like that's just insane it was a blast to watch like he was feeling it um so what i like though about svi is his overall trajectory on offense not just making shots um a couple things i would encourage people to watch when you're watching the games this week um to me svi has a really good sense for moving without the ball and coming off screens um 
absolutely locked in and ready to shoot, right? So he doesn't hesitate. If he comes off a screen and is wide open, he's ready to shoot. I think that's what he ought to be doing. Um, we've seen some hints of some sort of sneaky athleticism, right? Like he's more athletic than you might think when you just first see him. Uh, and I also think we've seen um, some hints of an ability off the dribble, which is I know Laz thinking way back to when we first acquired him, that's something you thought he might be able to bring to the table is some ability to handle the ball and get to the basket. We've seen some of that. Um, so I wouldn't be too obsessed about the shooting numbers. Shooting comes and goes, especially when you're a three-point shooter. It has its highs and it has its lows. You know, we're riding a high right now. It's been awesome. I hope it's building a ton of confidence for Svi. But the thing I would really be watching is what are these other little things that he's doing to help get him in position to take these shots? Uh, and I think he's doing the right things right now, and I think that can continue. Because uh, I, I really think there's a, a role for him to play. Um, I also think just broadly talking about basketball generally, I think moving without the ball is a little bit of a lost art right now. When you look at the best teams in the league and the best players in the league, it tends to get pretty ISO heavy. Uh, I think maybe a guy like Svi could exploit some of that to his advantage. No, absolutely. And a lot of what you're talking about, the movement off the ball to, to set your feet and prepare to shoot, like that's something that we saw a lot from the two-man game from Reggie Bullock and and, and other players on this, uh, on this current Pistons team. Um, that's something that you definitely hope Svi picks up because that's a really easy way to score, uh, to shoot uh, when you're as good a shooter as he is, and it's to score. And so, you know, that's definitely something you you want to keep an eye on and hope he progresses. Um, he has been really good attacking the rim uh, as of late. You know, part of that is probably due to the Hawks just being like really porous on defense. I remember there was one uh, there was one layup he had where he 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 blew by uh, his defender and then like John Collins didn't challenge him at the rim, which was like very weird to me because John Collins is like four inches taller and this athletic freak. And he's just like, I don't, I don't care enough to about, about Svi Mikhailov like driving at me to, to worry about this. It's like, okay, that's a little weird. So this is definitely like an outlier performance from Svi, but it shows the type of player he's going to be in the NBA. He's going to be a very good role player for a very long time in this league because he can make shots and because he can attack and, and pass a little bit. Like that's, that's the, those are all the elements of a guy that you want as a role player on this team for a long time. You know, like we, we've talked a little bit about, uh, well, no, I guess we're, we're going to talk in a bit, a little bit about uh, like what we expect from the, from the young guys on this team. And like Svi's role to me, like seems explicit. Like he is going to, if, as long as he shoots 40% from three on good volume. And as long as he continues to like, not be a porous defender, like he's going to be in the NBA. Like that's the kind of guy he is. And you know, that's a valuable player. It's not necessarily like a highly paid player, but it's a very valuable one. All right, Ben, uh, you know, I, I don't want to brag, but I did a radio hit this week. I was very happy with that. Uh, if our listeners are listening on the Western side of the state in Grand Rapids, check out uh, big drew and Jim weekdays at 3 PM on ESPN 96, one FM. But uh, when I did that radio hit, they, they threw me a curveball. They asked me to rank the uh, young guys by how important they would be to the team, like moving forward. And I, did, I didn't expect that. So I, <laughs> I threw together a ranking. But then I was also like, hey, like that would be a really good podcast question. So I want to I throw it to you first, though. Like what, what would your young guy tier uh, ranking be for the Pistons moving forward? 
So shout out to ESPN Radio. I love that they reach out to Detroit Bad Boys. I was on a couple of years ago on one of these shows, and I forget the network. And they asked me something about Charles Barkley. <laughs> and I was like, Charles Barkley, what are you even talking about? <laughs> he had made some comment about Kevin Durant or something. I don't know. Barkley being yeah, Barkley. Um, yeah, so the ratings, I think, were pretty – we're going to end up being pretty close together, but maybe we diverge a little bit. So I would say um, – I'm going to have a significant caveat here, but I'd say the top three guys of our young core, if we're strictly talking talent, I'd have Seku, Kennard, and Wood as sort of my top three guys, so I think are probably the most talented of that group. Um, Bruce and Svee would be my sort of next tier, and I don't necessarily think there's a whole lot of separation there, um, but I, I sort of like some of the dynamics and a little bit of offensive potential that are in the top three that I don't necessarily see in those bottom two, or next two, excuse me, not bottom two. Um, so the bottom tier is you're going to rate them Bone King, Hall, and Thomas. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about those guys. We've hardly seen them the odds of any of those guys sticking is probably pretty small, but that's how I'd kind of rate our top five. Um, but that's really in the context of, again, just sort of what I evaluate as their talent, right? In a vacuum. If we talk about these guys in the context of the team, this is sort of where my significant caveat comes in and it has to do with Luke Kennard, right? So he's the first round pick, uh, you know, of this group, you know, accepting Seiko because he's in his rookie season and at this point, there's two things that I think the franchise is going to have to consider if we're evaluating this group in the context of who's part of the Pistons moving forward. Those two things are, one, what is his contract situation going to look like? Because uh, he's approaching that first deal after his rookie contract, right? So what is he going to command on the market? What is his price, going to, price point going to be per year and how many years? All that kind of stuff. And then the second thing is, you know, he's been injured enough now at this point in his career that I feel like the Pistons have to start asking the question, you know, is Kennard a guy we can get more than 60 games a year out of? Um, and if he is or isn't, what does that mean in terms of how much we're going to be willing to pay him? So that would be the big caveat I would throw in. And then um, the guy who potentially could sort of leapfrog loop into that sort of top tier that I evaluated in terms of talent would be Bruce Brown, because I think the thing that Bruce, you know, just in terms of his physicality and his athleticism, um, he's been extremely durable uh, in his time in the NBA so far. And I think um, he's not a liability defensively, right? Like you can count on Bruce Brown. Um, you know what you're going to get from him defensively, which I think a lot of coaches like. It's certainly something you want to, develop as the core of your franchise, right? No matter what your style of play is, you want to have some guys who can be lockdown defenders. Um, if we're talking in the context of this franchise moving forward, you know, Bruce can leapfrog Luke if durability is concerned and if defense is a key part of what your identity is going to be moving forward. I, w I want to thank you for that, Ben, because that you explicitly laid out the case for why I have Bruce over Luke. Um, for me, you know, defense is really important. Um, I've always said that Luke's um, Luke's inability to get to the rim and his inability to consistently like defend his position at a high level are the reasons why, like I'm, uh, you know, I think his ultimate NBA destiny is to is to come off the bench. 
Um, did I, I guess I got a little bit ahead of myself. We should I should lay out my uh, my yeah. Give for, us your rankings. Yeah, yeah. So I got I got Seku and, and then Bruce, and that's kind of the first tier. I got Luke, and then I got Svi. That's that's the second tier. I got Wood by himself in the third tier, and then in the in the uh, final tier, we got uh, Jordan Bone, Lewis King, Dante Hall, and Kyrie Thomas. Uh, sad state of affairs for Kyrie Thomas, by the way. Like this could have been a really good opportunity for him to to prove himself this season, and you know the injury in preseason just was a really on, inopportune time uh, for him. But but to go back to uh, Luke over Bruce or Bruce over Luke, which is what I think I got the most pushback about, was just that, like yeah, I I think there there's like a there's easy to imagine a world in which Bruce is a like starting caliber guard for a playoff team. And it, and for a playoff team that like has success in the playoffs, and it's harder for me to imagine a world where like Luke Kennard uh, is that guy just just because of the of the defense. You know, like maybe that is sort of due to the injuries. You know, if we recall, like he was much better on team as a team defender in his rookie year before these injuries kind of started accumulating. Um, and so there is the hope that um, he once he comes back from this latest round of. Uh, of rehab that he will be fully healed and like maybe he'll be a more effective team defender but yeah like i'm when i'm imagining like surrounding seku with with the players i want to surround seku with it's guys who can uh attack the rim and and defend their position and and luke's those are you know weaknesses to luke's game uh, the other big divergence we have is uh is christian wood you know i have christian wood you know like essentially fifth on my list and, and you have them uh, in your top three. Um, sell me a little bit on Christian Wood, Ben. To me, he's just such an unfinished product. There's just, even though his age is a little bit higher than you'd want to see in someone you still think of as a project, like there's just, there's so much tantalizing potential there. Um, I'm thinking of the Atlanta game, for example, uh, some of the blocks that he had. I mean, just, you know, just absolutely jaw dropping kind of stuff. Uh, as an individual defender, um, the ability to shoot the three ball, um, you know, when we think about the big men, the Pistons have had over the last handful of years, a, a glaring weakness. Um, I think his athleticism is also extremely tantalizing. Um, so it's very much about sort of this, this raw product that could be better with the right coach. Like I'd love to go see Christian Wood go play for Craig Popovich or something like that. Right. Like some, some coach who could really um, potentially groom and develop this young talent. And then I think, you know, part of this is statistically informed, right? So I, I really do like guys who are box score stuffers and Christian Wood is that Um, he, he rebounds the ball. Well, he tends to score at a high percentage he racks up those things like blocks that I think tend to be more important than other people tend to think about. Um, it's like if you look at something like wind shares or wins produced or even PER, like you're going to see Christian would sort of leap to the top of, of all of the Pistons ratings because in spite of the fact that he has these lapses that I think maybe someone could argue don't get captured in the box score, um, he does produce a whole lot of stuff. He does things, right? Um and then I think in the context of the Pistons' future, um, the uncertainty around Andre Drummond, the fact that you really absolutely have to have big men, um, the fact that I think he could be acquired for relatively cheaply, 
Um, not necessarily. I, I don't know that I ever see him as a starter because I think there's too much uncertainty and vi- um, volatility with Christian Wood. But I, I don't know. I just love having a guy like him off the bench who can come come out and really impact a game. But you don't necessarily need to rely on him for 30, you know, 30, um, not up and down minutes, but consistent minutes. Like you don't need that at Christian Wood. You need him to to come off the bench and energize your second unit. I think he can do that. Okay. I don't okay. know if I persuaded yeah. you, but I, I don't know. I just I just think there's I think there's a there there, and I could be wrong, and I might get proven wrong. Um, yeah. yeah, for me, it's just it's really difficult for me. I place a really high value on uh, being a impactful defensive defensive player if you are a big man, and Christian Wood does have the highlight blocks, and he does have uh amazing athleticism and he is a very productive offensive player but you know it's he's 24 like i really he needs to show me like a little bit more on the other side of the ball a little bit more defensively before i would be comfortable you know ranking him higher like that's that's not to say i dislike christian wood like i'm trust me i'm very appreciative of all of the offensive production he's able to put up for this team that like really struggles to put the ball in the basket sometimes but uh you know, if we're thinking about him being like a core piece moving forward, again, like I want to surround Seku with guys who can score the basketball and defend their position. And he does not necessarily defend his position uh, consistently or like what you would want from a, a starting level like center in this league. And oh, so, like, he, yeah. so I would say he defends his position. He just doesn't defend any of the other positions. And yeah, by that, right. I mean help defense <laughs> unless there's a block to be had. So, also, Laz, like, what's what's the price point, right? So there's this value to production yeah, point. question, right? So Christian Wood is not going to go make $15 million this next season, right, unless somebody just goes crazy. Um, I would love for the Pistons to bring him back on a, you know, a reasonable contract and have him play, you know, a backup four or five position. I, I think that would make a lot of sense. No, absolutely. I, when uh, I was looking at what other uh, backup big men got paid last offseason, um, and, you know, if the Pistons were to offer Christian Wood somewhere of the neighborhood of like three years, 12, 13 million, like that sounds both like appropriate for what he's shown so far and like way more money than he's ever made in the NBA in, in his professional career, like to date. And so, like, I think that's something he the, that both sides might have interest in. Oh, but, I would you know, be totally on board with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But on the other hand, like uh, Royce O'Neal. Uh, a, a role player for the Utah Jazz, a, a wing guy. He got extended for four years, thirty-six million. Either like like this weekend, like very very recently. And I had people like asking me, like, do you think like we'll give crit with like, do you think it'll cost crit, uh, oh. that much to, like keep Christian Wood? And like like nine million dollars is a lot of money like per year. Like we're we're mad at Langston Galloway for making seven. Yeah. Like. Is, like that's that's entirely too too much, and so I do think there's kind of outsized uh, expectations for like what Christian Wood's gonna get, um, and versus like what I think he's like actually worth. So we'll see how those those resolve themselves. Yeah, Christian Wood podcast, I love it. <laughs> All right, Ben. Uh, the Pistons uh, have four games this week. They play uh, in Washington tomorrow, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. They have three home games against the Kings and then uh, the Grizzlies and the Brooklyn Nets on a back-to-back on Friday and Saturday. Ben, 
how many games will the Pistons lose this week or win? I guess we're, we're not <laughs> yeah, sure. What are, what what are we saying at this point? Well, <laughs> you know, first of all, I love that the Pistons play on MLK Day. It's always a fantastic way um, to honor a man whose legacy deserves to be honored and remembered. Um, you know, we don't get political or cultural on this cod- podcast. I'm glad that we don't. But, uh, you know, MLK Day, a hero of mine. And, you know, as a white middle class dude, he's a guy I try really hard to listen to. Um, you know, he, he, he speaks from a perspective that I can never have, and I need to be open to hear that. And I, I think it's an important day every year, um, to be reminded of that. So let's listen to what MLK had to tell us. His words remain as applicable and as poignant today as they were when he said them. And that's, you know, a generation, a generation and a half ago, uh, back to basketball, you know, who knows, man? I mean, Washington's bad, um, that hasn't stopped them from loop from beating the Pistons before, <laughs> right? Uh, but I'm interested in those Brooklyn games, right? Like, um, th- let's lose to Brooklyn, and uh, let's hope for another one of those competitive losses where the young guys can get some crunch time experience in overtime or in the fourth quarter or whatever. Uh, a couple losses to Brooklyn could be huge down the road. Let's go that route. I, I like that. Um, I like. I appreciate what you had to say about Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I will say that. You know, I'm I'm also a big fan of of MLK. Um, I, we went to DC like this this fall, uh, and we went to his monument. And the the thing that struck me was just like how how many of his uh, words and thoughts and quotes were just like in, ensconced around that monument, uh, and how you know how applicable you know the vast majority of them like remained today. Um, that was just something that struck me about uh, about MLK. I yeah. also hope that they lose to the Nets. That will be clarifying. We have, uh, you know, asked for clarity over the course of this podcast. Losing to Brooklyn is offers offers a lot of clarity. Um, I w- I'll be excited to see them play against the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are a really fun team uh, to watch, and so that'll be uh, that's a game that I'm, I'm excited to to watch. Just like less so from an, an analytical perspective and more so from just like a fan perspective. John Morant, super fun to watch. All right, Ben, uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find your work, what's, what's your social media, talk to them. Yeah, if you want to come help me shovel my driveway, uh, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> a good, We had a good nine inches of snow that got covered by freezing rain in the mid-Michigan area. So my snowblower wouldn't start, so that is just excellent. Um, but yeah, at BR Golker on Twitter, you know where the blog is. That's how you find out about the podcast. Uh, again, let us have it in the podcast comments. I mean, you know, Laz and I, for the most part, tend to largely agree about the Pistons. Um, we know we've got some really passionate fans who read the blog regularly and contribute actively in the comments who don't agree with us. So let's uh, let's duke it out in a very friendly and in a sense of camaraderie, because we all want this team to be great, a lot greater than it is now. So hit us up in the comments, too. Yeah, and... You know, I, I appreciate the comments and, and the the listeners and readers of Detroit Bad Boys holding me down for my other podcast uh, this week. That was uh, a very involved mailbag that I was truly appreciative. And I thank you guys for the questions. Of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. And right, Laz, I just got to say, like, you've got one of the best Twitter handles that I know of on Pistons Twitter, maybe NBA Twitter. It's it's pretty fantastic. So you deserve some kudos for that. Well, you know what that is, right? 
It's my middle name. I do. And it's still awesome. It's even more awesome, right? Because it's your middle name. <laughs> it's yeah. it's just fantastic. I've always liked that. And that was like my like AOL uh, screen name. Like, oh, yes. <laughs> AOL names. I'm not telling you mine because it's so embarrassing because I was a good <laughs> like eight years ahead of you, I think, at that point. <sighs> All right. And that was that was the podcast. We'll talk to you guys later. <laughs>